Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the pod. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Keegan and the Boys. I'm joined today by Sam Godsey and Tanner Dislin. We'll be talking about the NBA All-Star Weekend, throwing slaps in college basketball, and more here on episode 42 of Crunch Time. We got a lot of good stuff to dive in today, as always. I'm really looking forward to talk about throwing slaps, but we got a few things to go through before getting there. Dare I say, this episode is going to slap? Oh, <laughs> I think you could say, that. say it. Let's see. To start off, we got some winners and losers. Sam, who is our winner? So obviously we're all rocking Iowa Hawkeye gear. Uh, for those of you who can't see, we're all rocking Iowa sweatshirts, different colors. It's great. Um, and being Iowa alum, we got to show love to one of the greatest Iowa basketball players. Actually, tonight um, at halftime of the Iowa-Michigan State game had his jersey hung up in the rafters. A big accomplishment, especially for Iowa men's basketball. Don't have a lot of history when it comes to their men's basketball program. But you look at the accolades. Garza was a national player of the year in 21, two-time Sporting News College Player Year, two-time All-American two-time Pete Newell Big Man Award, two-time Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award, Luke Olson Award, Senior Class Award, two-time Big Ten Player of the Year Award, Big Ten Male Athlete of the Year, two-time All-Big Ten, and adding one more, having his number retired. Number 55 has officially been retired. So hats off to Luke Garza. A really cool moment being in the arena tonight, witnessing that. Yeah, they were they were listing it off. I was like, oh, yeah, you had to go was, up for air. Was, yeah, you had to go up for air while <laughs> listing off the resume. There was a it was a big night in Iowa City because not only did Luca Garza get his jersey retired, but so did Roy Marble, who you know, as you said, and one of the many accolades Garza has acquired is that of Iowa's all time uh, career scorer, passing Roy Marble in route to doing so. Tonight, not only did they retire the 55 jersey for Garza, but they also retired the 23 jersey for Marble, which was something that was a long time coming for someone who held that record for a really long time. It's unfortunate that Roy Marble has since passed, but it's a good thing that they finally did it because he really deserved to have it. Especially when you look at the career he had and what he meant to basketball in Iowa City. Of course, having the end of his career altered as much as it was by COVID, not having the home atmosphere in his senior year that I know Luca Garza thrived off of and wanted so badly. The proper send-off to everything he gave to the fans, the, the Iowa basketball fans, and, and everyone across the nation, really, who got to see him do some magical stuff on the court. So he didn't get, never got that proper send-off. So I'm so glad that he was finally able to, to be in the spotlight and, and be honored and in a, in a night in Iowa City, and I know uh, it's a, it's a night he will never forget, and uh, me neither, really. Yeah. Uh, one quick trivia question I, I just thought of. I, I'm curious. I want to get. Do you guys know the answer with Roy Marble's number getting retired in the Raptors at Carver tonight, number 23? Who's the last Iowa basketball player to wear number 23? Sam, I'm real disappointed in you. Josh Agundale, Josh Agundale. it right now, baby. Let's go. Right so Josh Agundale. Gotta believe has to be the last Iowa player to wear number 23. Garza, he's one of those centers that in college, anyways, he was known to pop off a few threes. And in the NBA, 
There's a center this past weekend who also popped off a few threes. They're our second winner of the episode. Who would that be, Tanner? I'll tell you what, I'll rate that transition a six out of 10. Not bad. But <laughs> our better. second winner is Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, what a showing in the three point contest. Uh, Sam and I can end up being on Old Takes Exposed. That is a theme we may talk about later, maybe not. But due to how we were treating Kat's participation in this uh, in this contest, and boy, did he have a great run, not only uh, making it to the finals, but of course, going on and, and winning it. And in doing so, while um, being able to wear a, a, a necklace honoring his, his late mother, who of course passed away due to COVID, and no one has had a rougher stretch um, in his life over the past year, year and a half or so, than Carl Anthony Towns. So for him to to do something and, and kind of solidify himself in, in, in words that he had mentioned before as the best shooting big man uh, in, in league history, to be exact, but do so while honoring his mother and, and honoring kind of the hard times he went through. It was it was a cool sight. So Carl uh, Anthony Towns, you, you are absolutely deserve to be a winner uh, of today's episode. Yeah, Cat joins the likes of Kevin Love as the only two big men to ever win the award, and Cat makes himself the only center to ever win the three-point contest. So he is in a category all by himself. And someone who's also in a category all by himself is that of Steph Curry. When this guy gets hot, it's unlike anything else you're, you'll ever see. And this all-star game... We got one of those glimpses into the greatness that Curry can provide. Dropping 50 points, going 17 for 30 from the field, 16 for 27 from three-point range. His, uh, his final tally of 50 points was just two points away from Anthony Davis's all-star game record of 52 set in 2017. That's the only performance in terms of scoring that goes higher than that of what Curry did this past week. What he did was phenomenal. There's one stretch of five five consecutive possessions where he hit a three. He was unconscious, and he rightfully won MVP. This here, that's where the feel-good stories end, because now we're moving to the two losers of the episode. Stay with the NBA here. Stay with All-Star Weekend. We got to talk about it. The dunk contest. It was, <laughs> if you're on Twitter at any point, in the last several days, you've seen different people continuously dunking on the dunk contest competition because it was awful. It was called by Stephen A. the worst dunk contest in the history of dunk contests. What was your guys' take on the dunks or lack thereof in the contest so, on Saturday? I think I think a stat that just encapsulates how awful this dunk contest was. In the first yep. round, the dunkers went seven for 25. That's 28%. Yeah. And to only make matters worse, my <laughs> choice to win the dunk contest went one for nine. <laughs> so if that if that doesn't tell you how bad that was just the first round. Now there's two more rounds. It it really was a um Poor dunk contest. I think I do think Aaron Gordon and Levine really set the bar really high, oh, and yeah. we tr- it's gonna be hard to top that, honestly. But this came nowhere within the universe of that dunk. Definitely a loser. Yeah, th- that stat you threw out seven for twenty-five. 
the thing that I love the most about that stat is the fact that there were four competitors in this competition and each of them get two dunks in the first round. And for each dunk attempt, you have three attempts to slam that thing down. It, right. It's that, it's that bad where, it, it, but you go seven for 25. That's 28%. <laughs> These are dunks. <laughs> like I, I, it, it was really, really frustrating. Um, too much. It was it was horrible. It, it's exactly what you guys have said and what the internet has said. Um, however, I do I do have a problem with with some of the things TNT said on air, um, it, it, and most notably upon when when Obi, Obi Toppin won when I had won the competition and and the reporter asking Obi Toppin after he had won if he thinks they need to change the format because it was basically saying it was so boring do you think we need to change the format after he had just won it that really was i don't think that was fair to obi toppin so i think i think tnt in itself needed to needed to do better and and the nba as a as a whole but uh with all that being said it was awful so speaking of changing the format they did it one year and i still think this is the worst dunk contest even topping this one yeah. Y'all remember in 2014 when they did the teams? Yeah, that was awful. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I think that one goes head to head with being the worst. I mean, yeah. they had they had impressive like Team East was Paul George, Terrence Ross, and John Wall, all okay. super athletic. But on the West, they had Harrison Barnes, Damian Lillard, and Ben McElmore. Okay. Okay. So big, some big, big so numbers. some obscure players, uh for sure, but that one was rough, but this one definitely comes close to it. Yeah. yeah. Not only was there just a ton of misses, I, I do think there were some creative ideas, but the problem is the ones that were executed, they weren't flushed emphatically, and they seemed to be – I don't know if something went wrong in the handle of the ball, and they would just seem to be like – standard dunks and not emphatic mm-hmm. jams and that are mm-hmm. supposed to be in the slam dunk contest. So and even the successful dunks and, and the ones that were creative and ha- su- were supposed to look good, just lack of emphasis made them look that yeah. much more just average. And I think with, again, with all the misses, it does take away from the difficulty. I mean, again, going back to Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, they were doing multiple one attempt 50 point dunks and it was insane to watch yeah. and just having them miss shout Jalen Green for all those misses but yeah we we didn't even get a single 50 point dunk uh, the <laughs> deservedly so i mean even the, even the scores they were given were too high like, uh-huh. yeah definitely what do we do to fix the nba dunk contest i think the nba kind of struck gold, certainly in that Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon era. But what was so weird about that was that at that time, those were two relatively unknown players. Like I, I remember I, whenever I saw them actually on the court during the season, my first thought was, oh, he did the dunk contest. He was one of the dunk mm-hmm. contest. I didn't really know them beyond that. And I think that's a problem because they a lot of these players that have kind of come in have been lesser known people and that's kind of 
brought some a little bit of less draw into the competition yeah. as a whole. So I think a very good way for them to to kind of increase the product is to to change the prizes accordingly to inspire your young talents, your household names to compete. Yeah, I I think you nailed that. Like I I think the All Star Game does um to cha- whoever wins donates right. x amount to charity i mean that's perfect i mean i'd love to see john morant in the dunk contest i think he would be insane but you're right game like Derek jones jr was in it a couple of years ago and he's like a 12th man on a bench and mm-hmm. just not getting those household names really takes away from the product uh, like you said yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned John Morant. I mean, I like to throw Anthony Edwards in there. I mean, he's easily one of the best dunkers in the NBA right now. You telling me LeBron wouldn't do this if he could get $100,000 for a school? Of course he yeah. would. You know what I'm saying? So, like, just changing the prizes to to inspire the top talents to compete, I think, would do wonders. For the- My- Miles Bridges for the Hornets. Miles, oh, the yeah, absolutely. The, the days are so far removed from when – the top players of the era would compete in their earlier years because we used to have Jordan and Kobe and Vince and, you know, something massive needs to change. I It's something that John Morant was asked about this all-star weekend. What would it take to get you in the dunk contest? And he said, the stakes aren't high enough. That was his response. How do you do that? Do you make it a charity event? Do you make it, say do you make some nba endorsements like you you get you get gatorade you get nike you get some big you know company to endorse an athlete and have a you know year-long sponsorship with them but you also got to make sure you get the scoring right because aaron gordon has said on several occasions that the reason why he's never doing another dunk contest again is because he feels like he was the best on several occasions and got robbed. So we have to figure out, like, I re- I love the idea of getting, you know, guys like Dominique Wilkins, getting these older guys, these older NBA players as the judges. But you, we, we talked about it, how we thought that the scores for some of the dunks this year, we thought they were too high for what they were. I feel like the judges also play into it a little bit. I don't know which direction you go for changing that, but... That's also a problem. Yeah. Regardless on how you look at it, something's got to change. You know, congrats to Obi Toppin for winning the, uh, you know, winning the dunk contest. He clearly came in the most prepared. The dunk contest isn't our only loser of the episode. We have one more. Who would that be, Tanner? This would be a situation that occurred in the UConn-Villanova game tonight. For those of you who don't know, UConn and Villanova played a top 25 matchup in Gamble Arena in, uh, on the UConn campus. This is a top 25 matchup in the Big East where UConn is playing its second season back in the Big East and the first with fans back in the arena. We mentioned how what COVID did to atmospheres that across college basketball and what, what made this sport so great. And you have a top 25 historically heated and rivalry matchup in which one team is back in the conference 
So you have all the storylines in the world to make just an incredible atmosphere for this game. And UConn coach Dan Hurley gets an early technical. Fine. His response to, to getting that technical was he got a little fired up and turned around to the crowd, pumping the crowd up as, as every athlete does in their career, looking at the crowd and waving his arms up and down, telling the crowd to get involved. In doing that, the referee went ahead and gave him a second technical and he was ejected from the game. That's right. Everything I said before about the conference, UConn being back in the conference, uh, top 25 matchup, all of that was trumped by a referee throwing out the UConn coach because he excited the crowd. He said it perfectly. It's, <laughs> it's terrible. When no one goes to games to watch officials officiate, that's not why anyone's there. When, when referees unnecessary calls, just like that, it ruins the product on the court. And this was a perfect example of ref ball. Refs putting themselves like, you know what? Look, look at all these great people here coming to watch me ref this game. No, <laughs> we want to watch. We want to watch the coaches coach. We want to watch the players play. And Dan Hurley, someone who's he's loved by that fan base. And clearly the way how he immediately turned around and immediately within a second, that entire crowd stands up, gets loud. And he gets ejected for it. It's just when you get fired up like that, there are so many ways you can express it. And it's, I think it's just so indicative of him that the way he chose to express it was engaging the Yukon faithful and those that support him. And in doing that, it got him ejected. I, I've tried to wrap. I, I, I can't even, I don't even, it, it sounds like I'm making it up when I'm saying it, that he was inciting the crowd and got ejected. Like that does not seem like something that happens in real life, but it did. Hey, listen, this situation is so messed up, but I guarantee you that just made UConn faithful go nuts. And that <sighs> is why UConn ended up up saying number five, Villanova 71 to 69. His goal was to it fire worked. the crowd. It, it, it worked. It worked. You just didn't get to see it. Which, which I, I guess before I, I said that all the storylines were trumped because of, of the call. I guess that, that, that's not fair. That's not technically true because it still was a very good basketball game. As you said, Sam, you kind of ended up beating Villanova and upsetting them. By, but still, I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. And, and that easily could have been a, a, a huge moment in the game and, and, and could have taken a lot away from UConn because the ref got his ego hurt. So, we want to talk about egos? Do we want to do that? Coaches. (laughs) (laughs) That's a perfect segue. Look at that. We had quite the situation unfold on Sunday between two storied Big Ten programs, that of Wisconsin and Michigan. Let's just get into it. Because we have Michigan head coach. we, We have Juwan Howard. When we have Wisconsin head coach Greg Gard. These two guys going down the stretch, they're just, you know, they're coaching. Jawan Howard, he he decides to leave his starters in the game to press. And Greg Gard's players, he's playing his bench guys because and he, he calls a timeout because this is a great teachable moment for you know these bench players to learn 
And apparently Juwan Howard didn't like that. And in the in the post-game handshake, he just tries to walk right past and gets grabbed by Greg Gard. And they weren't having it. <laughs> Grabbing one another. And what we all know happens, what looked like it was about to be a punch, turned into a slap at the very last second. It looked like he kind of tries to grab the head of the assistant coach. Like it was such a weird movement. <laughs> there we have a brawl. I'll I'll dive into a little of who I think is at fault. It's a game. Let, let's just throw that out there. It's cliche, I know, but it is. I get guard calling a timeout. Almost every coach would call a timeout with his bench if he sees Michigan starters running a press. I th- I don't. That was a problem. But who's at fault? That's an, that's where it gets a little dicey because I, I agree. Jawan Howard should shook the day's hand, but should guard uh, grab him and say, like, why aren't you shaking my hand? No, I, I think it's like some after uh, eighth grade basketball game types. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. This is so childish, honestly. And. It's just, it's not hard. It's hard to take this situation seriously and to match that with the apologies, the apologies uh, we got from both sides. It's it's just, you can't help but laugh, honestly. My biggest frustration with the situation is I think how easily it could have been avoided. Chronologically, situation number one, Juwan Howard leaves in his starters and presses. I personally have zero problem with that. There is a legitimate coaching philosophy. Not everyone follows it, but when there is time on the clock, you coach to win the game. If you're down 20 with a minute left, play the game to win. When it's over, it's done. But while there's time on the clock, you play to win. That's fine. What bothers me is when Juwan Howard got upset at a decision made by Greg Gard that was a direct result of a decision he made. Um, you said, I think, I think a, a key phrase you said, Keegan, is a teachable moment. Um, you had walk-ons. You had guys who didn't get a lot of playing time. You have guys who could, who, who could be the future of that team. I mean, underclassmen, new guys to the team who need to know how to play in a situation like this, where you are facing an athletic team who is pressing in desperation mode. And this was a very good teachable moment. So, again, I have no problem with that timeout to get things right, to teach his guys because they needed to learn. Juwan Juwan getting mad at Greg because of that, I have a problem with. With that being said, as you said, Sam, you want to talk about egos being hurt. Greg Gard's ego was so hurt that Juwan Howard didn't shake his hand that he had to hold him hostage, basically, and just hold him in place and say, you need to talk to me. Like what is that? That that is that is just not good. Greg Gard absolutely shares some blame in this because of that. And and if he didn't do that, Juwan probably would have walked right past him, and we're on our merry way. Lastly, that scenario though, where someone gets held, it's happened before, and it hasn't turned into Royal Rumble because of it. 
That was solely because of Juwan Howard's decision to strike a Wisconsin assistant coach. So all of that wrapped together. Whose fault is it? It's both. It was absolutely both. They both handled it poorly. It got physical because of Juwan Howard. And I think that is the inexcusable part, which is why Juwan Howard gets most of the blame, but Greg Gard is not blameless in this situation. Totally agree with what everything you guys said. It's childish. We're talking about a game here. This isn't, this isn't real life. We're talking about a game. And for, for this to happen, I'm personally of the opinion I don't personally care for the post-game handshake, period. I think it's something that can get done away with. If you want to meet with the guys somewhere on the court following the game, sure, you can do that if you like. I don't think it's something that should be an unwritten rule of college basketball. What if Jawan Howard, being a 6'9 ex-NBA player, had decided to instead not open up his fist but deliver a strike to the head because that's where it would have been. He would have cold cocked him right on the temple. That would have been dangerous. And then just talking about the game itself, like you can't get mad at something that you caused Howard. And, and, and then talking about the blame, who's to blame. It's definitely both. You know, just, just, just uh, one last kind of, Going off of what you said, I think we're all in agreement and all, and all of us are, are thinking along the same page. I guess I would like to say, though, that one thing um, that one take that you threw out that I think I don't, I don't necessarily want to say I have a problem with. But w- when you said that, like, it's a game, it's not real life. Um, like, Juwan Howard is an ex-NBA player. He, basketball is his life. Yeah. Um, and I think this plays more into your second point. For a lot of these, like it's their job, it's their life. Because of that, emotions are so fresh. They are so, so fresh. And because of that, I like your second point about not forcing the handshake. Because in a situation like that, where where he just needs to excuse himself and cool down a little bit, and this could have been avoided, absolutely. So because of everything, because it for some people it is their life basketball is what they've devoted everything in their life to that is what causes the emotions to get out of hand which could causes situations like this that can be potentially dangerous that's well put so let's let's talk about some of the stuff that happened afterwards it didn't end once they left the floor uh, i i want to i want to bring our attention to something that Jawan Howard said in the post game conference when, when talking about how uh, Greg Gard, you know, touched him, uh, he called it unnecessarily uh, in the postgame handshake line. Uh, during, during a quote that he had, he said at the very end, I thought it was time to protect myself. And, you know, Jawan Howard being 6'9", and Greg Gard being 5'11". Eh, <laughs> I don't know if right. I buy that. Right. Um... I... I it's, I it's, was with Jawan Howard the entire way until that point. And, and however, I, I think protecting himself is, is more than just physical. Yeah. Um, 
I think a, a better way to have put it from his standpoint was I needed to stand up for myself, which I kind of agree with. If he, yeah. if, you know, if he's getting held and he's getting, you know, yelled at as I assume he was, whether or not he caused it, there is an innate, you know, nature to stand up for yourself. And I think everyone should do that. And I think him doing that, I didn't have a problem with. It was when it got physical thing that you referenced, Keegan, that is when it gets just, it gets really bad and inexcusable. With that, uh, the only thing we have left to talk about is the suspensions. Uh, John Howard gets uh, five games. Uh, the remainder of the regular season, Greg Gard gets a fine, no suspension for him. Uh, several players get one game suspensions. And that's it. What we think about the price to pay for what happened is was it fair? Not enough, too much. Well, first off, talking about the Greg Gard fine, it's not coming out of his pocket. Um, Wisconsin came out and said, Oh, no, we're, we're, we'll pay it, it's fine. Um, kind of big brother act if you ask me Mm. but listen it it shouldn't have happened but I think um, both coaches were equally blameful in uh, this altercation I think both of them should have had the same uh, consequences I do think five games is the right amount so it doesn't impact their postseason which I don't think if there was an actual like brawl thing, uh, it should be extended, but it wasn't. So I think till the end of uh, the regular season is a good thing for uh, Jawan Howard suspension, but I think it should have been done on both sides. Interesting. Regarding Jawan Howard, I think his five-game suspension for the rest of the regular season is, I think, the minimum I was okay with. I'm I'm not mad about it. Um, I do yeah. think it was on the lighter side. If it was anything oh, less, I, I probably would have been yeah. a little bit mad. Um, but I but it, it's the minimum I'm okay with. Um, Greg Gard, I think, went severely underpunished, and that gets me a little bit frustrated, um, to be honest. Because you you mentioned the actions from Wisconsin. I get wanting to back your guy. Fronting the fine makes Greg Gard look like a victim. Greg Gard was instrumental in the escalation. Greg Gard wasn't even the one who got hit. How on earth has he been a victim? That was frustrating to me. And I think, I think Wisconsin mismanaged that, and they called it a Wisconsin fine, not a Greg Gard fine. No, this was a Greg Gard fine. Wisconsin didn't hold another man in his spot to yell at him. Greg Gard did that. So all of that, I think Greg Gard was severely underpunished, and, and that bothers me. I agree. I do think it should have been a little more than five games, but five games is kind of the bare minimum I think he yeah. should have gotten. The, I, agree on the, I agree on the Howard front. Five games was a minimum to satisfy me. I get not wanting to do more because of the possibilities of whatever may come for Michigan's postseason. I think Greg Gard should have been suspended. Uh, not, not for, you know, I agree. Is it like just, just the fine. And, and especially it's the like way a slap guess. on the wrist. Uh-huh. And, 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 and especially the way Wisconsin handled the fine. 
I don't think guard should have been suspended for as many games as, as Howard. I, I probably like to see three games at least for guard. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see more for both. Do you think, uh, do you think there's going to be any changes to the way we do, you know, you know, these, these post-game handshakes, or do you think we're going to see in, in emotional games, coaches just ushering their guys to the locker room instead of doing handshakes? How does, how does this set a precedent on what goes next? I think personally it's on a case by case. I think um, it's, should it be a unwritten rule? Like uh, y'all mentioned previously, I think it is okay to be like, okay, this was an intense game. Emotions are at an all-time high. We don't need to come in contact with each other. Not, and I don't think that's a loss or like an insult to the other team. I think, oh, it's a great game. We just don't want this to escalate off the floor, basically. Yeah, we, just, so we just hate you right now. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's, that, that's what competitors feel. Right. And it's not as easy to turn it off. Of course, uh, you know, you respect your opponent. And uh, I think that the ideal situation that all all fans see is, of course, after the hard hard fought game, when the star players are exchanging jerseys and the coaches are shaking hands and talking about how great a game that was. That's more easily achieved in 30 minutes after they've gone to the locker room, cooled off and maybe came back out. And we're able to, to, to talk about the game and, and kind of embrace each other in a hard-fought battle. I, I would love to see that get adopted. The problem is that because of this unwritten rule, now any form of just leaving the floor without shaking hands is going to be seen as disrespectful. And it is in an attempt to not seem disrespectful, I think teams might still force that the post-game handshake, which as we know, can cause problems. Yeah, I, I think everyone has seen this at some point. We'll see what changes are made to that in the future in, in the unwritten rules of basketball. Maybe there'll be written rules, but that will wrap it up for the first half of this episode. Make sure to stick around for the second half because we have some great stuff waiting for you. We have Sam's punishment on the other side. So welcome back from that quick ad break. We are ready for a punishment here. Sam has a blender out on his desk and man, what could that be for? Well, Sam's punishment. He went, uh, he went over to his nearby McDonald's and he bought himself a happy meal. What he's going to do is he's, he's going to put that in the blender and so, Sam, uh, why don't you walk us through uh, the contents of your happy exactly. meal? Of course. So, I, so fun fact, I know Happy Meals didn't have a cheeseburger, so I got me a nice little, uh, little burger here. Of course, I had to get the ketchup and onion and pickle, so that's going to be our first ingredient. Oh, my God. <laughs> And then we got, of course, you can't go McDonald's and not get some fries. <laughs> so throw that in there. Fresh out the fryer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, these are like lukewarm at best. Ice and cold. of course, and of course, it's a happy meal. So they serve fruit now because 
you know, why not? So, of course, we got we got to add a little bit of this. Yes, get some apple mm. slices. And then, of course, again, it's McDonald's. So you got to add the luxurious Sprite. Yes, um, oh, I know what you're all boy. thinking. I know what you're all thinking. Excluding the milk jug is only okay because he got Sprite. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, this is gonna be great. Look at that. That oh. is oh. Give it a good shake um, for us. Okay. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, it smells like salty sprite. All right. Here it goes. Cheers to you, cheers to me. <laughs> Five, four, three, two. One jug, jug, jug. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> oh no! It's in his beard. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> he looks like a baby that just spit up, and it's just everywhere. Everybody, that. make sure you go to our TikTok where we will have the video of everything that just went down. You okay. guys, that is a that is certainly a must watch. The 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 look of surprise on his face as <laughs> as he looked up. All right, so break it down, uh, Sam. How was that? Yes, bring us through the flavor. You know, it it was. It started out with the sprite, right? And yeah. McDonald's sprite, fantastic, correct? Slaps. And then I got a mixture of a mushy French fry uh, and the hamburger. And let me tell you, mm, <laughs> that's not something you want. Did, did you get any apple slice in there? I mean, I definitely did, it, but I couldn't taste it, unfortunately. I was going to say, salt and fat takes over fruit any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that was not pleasant at all, but... With a Happy Meal, I got a little Stitch toy, so, yeah. so it's all good. Yes. You guys Man. have to let us know in the comments, did Juwan Howard get punished correctly? Did Greg Gard get punished correctly? And did Sam Gotzi get punished correctly? At Crunchtime underscore pod. That was horrible. I still think I'm taking that over horseradish. I'm not oh, a captain. Oh, I, was a, I, I would take that. <laughs> yeah, also let us know. Let us know. <laughs> would you rather drink liquefied McDonald's or would you rather nice get a spoonful of horsey in your mouth? With that, let's get to some picks. We have Thursday night. We have 22nd Ohio State traveling to Illinois to take on the 15th ranked fighting Illini. Who we got in this one? I got Illinois in this one. Um, just the more dominant team. Uh, Kofi Coburn, nobody can stop that man. So I got Illinois uh, rather endedly in this one. Yeah, I, I think that is a that is a great pick. Um, what I will say, if Ohio State is going to win this game, of course it is going to be on the back of EJ Liddell, and I think he is he is a big man with a skill set that would cause problems for Kofi Coburn because of Liddell's ability to stretch the floor. But with that being said, um, guys like Trent Frazier and, uh, and, and Curbelo are, are just 
going to be too much for that uh, for the Ohio State guards. So, so I think Illinois will take this at home. Taking taking the words right out of my mouth. I mean, but looking at it from other perspectives, Illinois score more as a game. They they allow fewer points. They they have they average more rebounds a game. It's like reg- majority of the stats that you look at from a team perspective, Illinois is just better, and they're at home. So it should be a recipe for Illinois being able to get the win. Let's look over to Saturday to where, Sam, your Arkansas Razorbacks are hosting the Kentucky Wildcats. So, Sam, Kentucky or Arkansas? You know who I'm going with. I'm going with the Hogs in this one. Bud Walton is one of the toughest places to play. I've said it in the past uh, when they face off Tennessee. And I I think this is going to be a lot closer than uh, people think. I think Arkansas is an underage team um, this year that a lot of people are kind of overlooking. Um, but with the play of G- J.D. Note, Devo Davis, all, the, all of them work well as a team. And I just – I like the Hogs at home, so I got Arkansas this. Sam, I agree with almost everything you said. Arkansas is an underrated team. Arkansas is is a team playing well. Um, Fayetteville is one of the toughest places to play in college basketball. But their luck, I think, runs out against Kentucky. Kentucky just has too much talent. They are also playing well. There was a little hiccup in Tennessee. Um, granted, that was that – was, uh, Inville and Tennessee is a good team themselves, but Kentucky's playing well. They have a lot of talent, uh, and I think Kentucky is going to be able to get the win, so I'm going with the Wildcats. The last game that Arkansas played in was a game that we picked. Tennessee, the team that beat Kentucky, was going into Arkansas to take on the Razorbacks, and I said that coming off of the win against Kentucky, that Tennessee would go into Arkansas and get the win. I was proved wrong. And so here we have another opportunity for me to get this right, to right my wrong, pick the Arkansas Razorbacks at home. But I'm not going to do that. Give me Kentucky to get the win. We got two other games on Saturday in college basketball. The next one being third-ranked Auburn, traveling to a team that we've mentioned a little bit about, and that being Tennessee. Tanner, we'll go to you first. Are you taking Auburn here in this one? Are you taking the Volunteers to Tennessee at home? First off, I would just like to point out how many SEC games we're actually picking in the past few weeks and just how in this conference there is no night off. I mean, no. this is one, one of the deepest conferences in college basketball. With that being said, totally. at the top of that list is Auburn. They had, of course, that hiccup against Arkansas and then, and then again against Florida. Yeah. With all of that being said, Auburn is still the class – of the SEC, and I think this game will be no different. I think we'll get the one over the Volunteers. Tanner, I hate to agree with you again, but I, I mean it's Auburn here. Like this, this is one of the best teams in college basketball. And sure, if it's going to be a loss, it's it's going to be by just a few points. But give me Auburn, Sam. Do we have three in a row here in this one? We do have three in a row. I think uh, this is a big opportunity for the Auburn Tigers to get back on track, uh, closing out the season in a 
big way against Tennessee. I'm expecting a big game from Jabari Smith. Uh, kind of take over this one. So I got Auburn. Yeah. I think this is one of the things that I love about college basketball, but we're on the doorstep of March. And this is where things are about to get the craziest. And this game is one of those reasons we have ranked fifth Kansas traveling against the 10th ranked Bears. So who gets it done here in Texas? You know, I I really thought Baylor was going to kind of take this one. But after that game against uh, Oklahoma State, kind of narrowly escaping that one, it's hard to go against the Red Hot Jayhawks, especially last game they played. Obviously, this was at Kansas, so that obviously plays a factor. But Kansas beat them very handedly, winning 83-59. to Not really a close game in that one. And I just think uh, the Bear team wins out here, so I got the Jayhawks rock chalk. Sam, you're wrong. Because the national champions do not get swept when they are a top 10 team. This team obviously lost key pieces. However, this is a very good basketball team, and Scott Drew is not getting swept by Kansas. I just believe it. And and to that point about Oklahoma State, um, you're right. Uh, I don't think Baylor looked particularly good but they were able to find a way to win that game. Of course, that's what good teams do. And I just like Baylor at home. I think the atmosphere is going to be great. I think Baylor has learned a lot of things um, from, from the last game over in, in, in Kansas. So I think they'll be ready to play. Like I said, Scott Drew will have his boys ready. So I've got Baylor in this one. And are you reading off my, my, my notes here or something? Because like, like line for line, exactly what I wanted to say. I'm, I'm taking Baylor here. Great analysis there, Tanner. I, I very much agree. We got two games on Saturday in the NBA as well. The first one being the Memphis Grizzlies traveling to Chicago to take on the Bulls. This is a big matchup between one of the best teams in the East and one of the best teams in the West. But who are we taking between the Grizzlies and the, and the Bulls? Boy, this, I, honestly, I think was the hardest game to pick. Uh, certainly of the NBA slate, probably even of all, because as you mentioned, the way these teams are trending, the way their respective positions in their conferences. But with that being said, I just like the Grizzlies. I think there's something about them. They're, they're fire, the way they play, the, the, the passion which they play. They're, they're all over the floor, of course, led by an MVP candidate in John Morant. So with that, being said, I've got the Grizzlies going into the United Center and getting a win in Chicago. Tanner, All that's right. a great pick, but not great enough this time, my friend. Oh. We're finally getting some difference here between the two of us. I'm taking Chicago at home, but I just like Chicago just a little bit better. Two of the players that have taken the biggest steps forward in the league this year are both going to be in this game. You're talking about John Morant, the step, the, you know, the, then talking about DeMar. We've talked about him several times. In terms of just talent versus talent, I think Chicago just has a little bit more of that. I think the Grizzlies are a deeper team, but here coming off of a long break, the Stars are going to have an opportunity to shine a little bit brighter here. So I like the Bulls get it done. Oh, Keegan, you're wrong. Yes. 
I'm going with John Morant and the Grizzlies. That underdog mentality has really been successful uh, for them all season. And I think that five-game win streak for the Bulls ends here uh, against the Grizzlies. We'll wait and see. We got a we got a plethora of good games on Saturday between college and professional basketball. And the last one ends here with the Brooklyn Nets traveling to Milwaukee to take on the defending champs. Nets or Bucks? One name, Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's on the Bucks. I'm going with the Bucks. Simple as that. KD being hurt. Uh, I, I just don't like the Nets in this one. I got the Bucks here. Yeah, I mean, the game is in Milwaukee, so Kyrie will get to play. Um, no Kevin Durant. Probably no Ben Simmons. I know there were reports that he's going to start to kind of ramp it up, but or if so, it's his first game in how long? And no Kevin Durant. Did I mention that yet? No <laughs> Kevin Durant. That's point one. And point two is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Is Kevin Durant playing in this game? Dude, he's not. Oh, well, uh, give me, give me, give me Milwaukee then. Right. So we got Bucks across the board. To wrap up the episode, we're going to go into questions of the day. The first one being a bit pointed towards you, Sam. This one from Austin Shaw. How far is Arkansas going to go in March? You know, it, it's kind of hard to say when you don't know the bracket. But obviously, Arkansas has surprised a lot of people. They're a strong team. I, I like them going pretty far, but I think they're road and sweet at the Sweet 16. I think they just rely too heavily on J.D. Note to get a bucket, and I just don't see that panning out well. But if they get a luck, lucky draw, I could, I could see them being a Final Four team, honestly. This team has so much talent and just – the coaching, I think coaching plays a big factor here. Eric Musselman's one of the best coaches in NCAA basketball. But uh, realistically, I have them being bounced in the Sweet 16, but I would not be surprised if they make a deep run in March. You know, it, I mean, it's important to have that go-to guy, but if you only have one go-to guy in those big moments – Sometimes it can be hard to get it done. But on the other hand, if that guy gets hot and stays hot through the whole tourney. They should be a second weekend team. They should. Um, they they have the talent. They have the coaching. And they're about as battle-tested as any team coming in. We've talked about how, how rough that SEC has been. Night after night, you're playing tough games, physical games, and, and road games that are that in hostile environments. So all of that put together, Arkansas should – absolutely be be a second weekend team um but as you said the luck of the draw who knows maybe they'll play like oral roberts in the sweet 16 again <laughs> yeah heading into the next question here i want to know what is the worst sports take you've ever heard this question is from griffin woodall i kind of previewed this earlier because you know talking about the bulls and the grizzlies i said I'll, i'm gonna get into demar Derozan later this is, this is where I'd get into that. A Bleacher Report at the beginning of the season, they broke down the worst free agent signings of this previous offseason. And at number one was DeMar DeRozan. And <laughs> that same guy, DeMar DeRozan, he is now an MVP candidate. But 
when he got a guy that's averaging 28 points per game and shooting 52% from the field to get those 28 points. And that, that, that was, that was your worst free agent signing of the off season. You're, you're getting added at freezing cold takes for that one every single time. That's, now, that's one of the worst recent sports takes I've ever heard. I, I mean, certainly hindsight is 2020, and it obviously was way wrong. I'm curious. So at the time, what were your thoughts? Well, my th- I certainly didn't think it was a great one. Uh, worst, definitely not. I thought he was a great piece that he couldn't be the guy. And I say, but I liked him, but. I thought he was. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was going to be a good addition. I thought it would provide depth, but I didn't know that he would be the best player on this team. I'll admit I've had some pretty bad sports takes, especially on this pod. I uh, put the Minnesota Vikings over yes! the Green Bay Packers. Um, I put Clemson in the college football playoffs. But nothing compares to the wise words of Max Kellerman in 2019. (laughs) Of everyone on Gold State, open shot, the fate of the universe on the line. The Martians have the death being pointed at Earth. You better hit it. I want Igudala. Igudala's got ice water in his veins. Igudala is that type of player. High leverage moment. Fate of the universe on the line. Open shot. No go get it. I want Iguodala taking that shot for me. Yes. Max Kellerman <laughs> actually said that on first take. And I I don't know how that's not the worst sports take of all time. I think the comedy, like the thing that's funniest about that is the fact that about a month ago, he doubled down on it. Like it, it was, it was rather recently. Uh, he, you know, he like he explained himself and talk about how he's not is not talking about how Curry like he's not saying Iguodala is a better three point shooter, but talked about the moment and broke his takedown. It's like, bro, just take the L. Obviously, now you know we talk, we just mentioned what Steph Curry did, and, and we we know what Clay Clay Thompson is capable of. But let's not forget he said this in 2019 when Kevin Durant was still a member of the Golden State Warriors too. <laughs> so you have the most talented scorer to ever do it, plus the best shooter of all time on that team, and he chose Andre Iguodala. That's all you need to say about that. Me, personally, I'm going to go with someone who played a similar role in first take past, and that is Skip Bayless. His love affair for Tim Tebow is something that a lot of football fans um, didn't quite understand, and it led to uh, a couple takes one of which saying that Tim Tebow was more marketable and was more box office than the late, great Kobe Bryant. And that in the final two minutes of a game, he would rather have Tim Tebow at the helm than Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So that's, uh, (laughs) those are tough takes. Those are tough takes. And I think certainly for that alone, a quarterback who started one year, won a playoff game, immediately got traded, changed sports, went back to the other sport, changed position. To have those takes about him 
is is certainly the worst take of all time. It feels like several years ago at this point where Tebow came back to the NFL and played as a tight end. Like that seems like such a far off memory, but you know, it's like what eight, nine months ago that wraps up for episode 42. Make sure to throw us a follow on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at crunch time underscore pod. The clock is now run out on this episode. We'll see you in the next one on crunch time.